0: Over the past year as a church, we've been reflecting on what does it mean for us to surprise the world by the way that we live by blessing and eating with our neighbors. In the first service I said blessing and eating our neighbors. That's not what I mean. This morning what we're reflecting on is what does it mean for us to be light and salt in our community And what does it mean for us to live out and be the presence of Christ around us? And there's been many powerful stories that we have heard. Let me give you an example. On our website, one story was, my daughter and I wrote a note to each other, to each of her teachers, thanking them for the online learning they were providing for her. We printed off and colored several uplifting quotes and included them with personal notes. Another one is, while I was having my car serviced, I walked to Zeeland Bakery, and I brought back cookies for the entire service staff. Random acts of kindness happening in our community. And so this morning, we're going to reflect on what does it mean for us in this time where we are scattered, we're still the church, we're not able to gather, and it's frustrating for all of us. School looks different, our neighborhoods look different in this year of COVID, what does it look like for us to be a scattered church? We're still the church, but we're scattered. Maybe a different way to say it is we're deployed. And we've been wondering what are the next steps for our church this time? During this Advent series, we're unpacking a new series over the next four weeks called The Art of Neighboring. And we're gonna be unpacking what it looks like to love our neighbors. Our vision as a church is to be a church that helps repair the fabric of our community by meeting people where they're at. And one of the best ways that we can do that is by equipping you to live out your faith in the world you live in and in your neighborhood. Our scripture for this morning is from Luke chapter 10. Very, very familiar passage on the Good Samaritan. And sometimes when something is familiar, we hear it and file it really quickly. This morning, I pray that as I read the word, that you would hear it anew, that you would hear it with different ears as we reflect on this idea of who is my neighbor and the struggle of what it means to be a neighbor. So hear the word of the Lord this morning. From Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 25, it says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus teacher he asked what must I do to inherit eternal life Jesus replied what is written in the law how do you read it the man answered love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself you have answered correctly Jesus replied do this and you will live But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And just just who is my neighbor? And in reply, Jesus responded with a parable. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him, and he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to the inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper, And said, look after him, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any expense that you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So if you hear it in our passage today, there is a struggle in neighboring in our world. It was true back then, and it's true now in our modern lives, especially now in this time in dealing with the pandemic. Because you know what? Lack of love is easy to justify. We don't have enough time. Not enough money. You know, it's not safe. I already have enough relationships and enough friends. This struggle became real to me a few weeks ago when my daughter was helping Rita and I, my wife, sell some furniture. We put it up on Facebook Marketplace, and the first person who came to buy the furniture did not have an adequate trailer to take the furniture home, and so they, could, they declined. And so we put it up again, and then a different person was coming on a late Saturday afternoon to our house to pick up the furniture, and I told my daughter, I need to be at evening church Saturday evening. I haven't been there in a while, so I need to be there. And about a half an hour late, around 5 o'clock, a car full of young adults from... East Kentwood showed up. It turned out that they were immigrants from Sudan. They were living here, their parents were not here, their parents were still back in Sudan. They had lived in a refugee camp in Chad, a neighboring country for 15 years, and they now live here in Grand Rapids. I could tell they were not familiar with trailers. They had never backed up a trailer before. And I could tell that if I put the piece of furniture in the trailer, that was an open trailer, that it would be ruined by the time they got 30 minutes away. So I was in a struggle. Do I go to church? Do I help them? I mean, they're just Facebook people I met. I don't even know who they are. I was having this debate in my head. But I made the choice, miss Saturday evening church. And I'm going to hook up my own trailer and take this piece of furniture and take it to their house And I had a wonderful interaction with them. I still have some contact with them. I don't know where it's going to go, but it was a powerful moment of learning to be a neighbor in that moment. In our text today, an expert of the law comes to test Jesus. See, in that time, they had often had very public debates in the temple or in other places about matters of theology and matters of legal law. And he's coming to test Jesus. He's trying to find a way to get Jesus into trouble, to get him to say something that he will regret. And he asks him about eternal life. And that's slightly different than we would ask, what do I need to do to receive eternal life? We would say, receive and accept the name of Jesus into your life, and you shall be saved. Claim him as Lord and Savior. But perhaps a Hebrew would say it like this, Lord, how do I live in shalom at peace with you and at peace with my neighbor, both now and for eternity? He asked, what shall I do to inhabit eternal life? It's a legal question and and Jesus responds in a legal way, but, but let us note, let me insert this just for a moment, that Here's a beautiful thing. There's no way anyone can live out what is going to be said next. But what the law demands is what the gospel clearly produces in us by the work of Jesus Christ. You know, the legal expert gives the textbook answer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. From Leviticus 19 and from Deuteronomy 6.5, a summary of the law. He gave the right answer, but he did not apply it personally to himself or admit his own lack of love for both God and his neighbor. So instead of being justified by throwing himself on the mercy of God, he tried to justify himself and wriggle out of the situation that Jesus got him in by saying, hey, will you define your terms? What do you mean by neighbor? Who is my neighbor? He's looking for a loophole. He's looking for a way to redefine and fit the idea of neighbor so it fits into his worldview and his life. And Jesus responds with a parable as Jesus often did. Jesus used parables to clarify a point, to drive home a point, and maybe like I saw myself in my story, in this story, Each of us can sort of relate to this story of the man who's going from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Jesus often also used parables to force a point and say, hey, this, this idea requires a decision. Now, I had the chance many years ago to Israel, and I want you to know that when in the parable it says he went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, that this road is more like a hiking trail or a slightly wider trail than that. On the edge of a cliff and through a canyon, the road from Jerusalem to Jericho drops about 3,500 feet in 10 miles. It's a steep canyon. And it passed through the wilderness and it was so notorious at that time and still to this day that it was called the Red Way or the Bloody Way. And so the man was attacked in the parable by robbers and left half dead. And that's an important point for you to know because someone who's half dead is bloody and dying, and both of those things can make you unclean or do make you unclean in the law. And so we hear about these three people who come by, I think the law expert would expect a different person to come by. We often tell jokes who say a doctor and a lawyer and a priest went into a bar. We hear a priest, a Levite, and I think the law expert would expect a Pharisee who has a slightly different understanding of the scriptures. But what happens in the story is that we see a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan, which is shocking. You see, the law expert treated this wounded man as a topic to debate. The robbers as an object to exploit. The priest as a problem to avoid, to stay clean and not become unclean. He went on the other side. The Levite, he was curious. At least he came nearby, but then still passed him by. And the Samaritan was the only one in the parable who saw this beaten, half-dead man as a person to love, and he came down to him and engaged him. So the question is, what does a neighbor look like? It starts with flexibility and compassion. You know, the man had been stripped, beaten, and robbed. And the Samaritan, in his actions, reversed all of what happened to the man. He gave of his time, he, he bandaged up his wounds, he carried him, put him on his donkey, got him to an inn where he could receive care, gave money so that he was provided for, and even offered extra exp- uh, reimbursement in case there were extra expenses. And so we see in this parable a picture of what it means To live out the spirit of loving your neighbor. Jesus says, you go and do likewise. What does that mean? You know what, for us today, let's think about it. As we're neighbors in this strange time, as we're neighbors, it means when we encounter someone, it might be inconvenient. Slow down our day. Slow down our agenda. It might be messy. It might involve a hassle or even... um, risk to ourselves. If you think about it in the parable, if the man had been ambushed, couldn't the Samaritan have been ambushed as well? He put himself at risk. And it was expensive. He paid his bills. Two days wages he left at the inn and also offered to pay more. Now as this parable ends, I could spend a lot of time on the parable. It concludes with a twist. And Jesus says to the legal expert, who proved to be his neighbor and and it required a scandalous answer by the legal expert so much so that he doesn't say the samaritan he says the one who had mercy on him and he reveals the heart problem in the legal expert he could not even say his enemy's name who had exer- who had lived out this idea of neighbor so completely. You see, the Samaritans and the Jews were hated enemies, had many battles, avoided one another, battled with one another, and the Jews regarded the Samaritans as scum. And the Samaritans, probably the same of the Jews. But the Samaritan was the one who loved his neighbor. And the conclusion that the law expert makes is that I'm to love my neighbor like the Samaritan loved the Jewish person that was his enemy. If I'm going to live out the call to be a neighbor like that, that means I also need to love my enemy and love Samaritans which shattered the minds of the legal ex- the mind of the legal expert and would shatter the idea of the understanding of the Jewish people at that time. You see, Jesus would have assumed that they were living out any normal Jewish person would be living in an insula and be living in a community where they were loving one another and they loved those within their community or in their covenant but those outside and especially Samaritan was not regarded as fully human and not in the image of God and so they were disregarded. But what we hear today is Jesus says, you know what? Your your circle is not just those who you run with. Your circle is not just those who are like you. Your circle of neighbor is even your enemy. And a real neighbor is one who does the loving thing wherever and whenever the occasion arises regardless of the deepest strife or enmity or antagonism. That's what neighboring is. It means we love people despite whatever situation, whatever our perspective. It means we love those who we come in contact with. The oversight of the Jewish people at the time was If you're like me, you're my neighbor. If you're unlike me or hated by me, you're not your neighbor. And Jesus says, no, that is not the ethic by which we live. And I think today, when we read this parable, we have an oversight as well. We tend to read it as a metaphor. We tend to think of the Good Samaritan, and we think of the neighbor by the side of the road or the downtrodden in our community. We even have a ministry in town called the Good Samaritan Ministries. But in some way, we have made everyone our neighbor and we think of the ministries that have arisen out of this call and our call is followers of Jesus. We think of the impact of Casas Por Cristo, the people who live in Um, Juarez, Mexico, they are our neighbor. So we help provide housing and do things for them by our offerings and by our ministry and our mission trips. We support Mission India and the work there to raise up churches and to care for believers and share the gospel. We, we do that because we see them as our neighbor. We're involved with Holland Rescue Mission and caring for those people in our community who are homeless or are most at risk. We treat our neighbors as those we engage around our community in different ways. And we have a high bar saying everyone is our neighbor, but one of the challenges is that sometimes no one ends up being our actual neighbor. When we try to love everyone, oftentimes we end up loving no one. But in the book that we're studying over the next few weeks, Many of our elders and deacons are going through training. We're reflecting on the art of neighboring and reflecting on taking Jesus' command seriously to apply this idea to our literal, I said it, literal neighbors. The word neighbor means the ones we dwell nearby. You know, we've been very creative as a church over the past number of weeks as we've been unable to gather. I've seen an outpouring of people on Facebook and giving care to Melissa Van Hoven, to Brian Van Hoven and their family as they've been at this very difficult place and struggle with COVID. I've seen outpourings around Ben Terpstra who just had that terrible accident and shattered his hip and others. So many people, Trisha Wright, so many I can think of, where we've extended this idea of neighbor to them and lived it out. I saw yesterday, as I was getting ready for the sermon, Bree Hodel, our youth director, came up my driveway and brought an orange bag for my son Bradley because the youth team here, the leaders and the staff have been thinking, how do we care for our students who we can't gather with right now? Let's bring them bags of a devotion and a journal and some food and some fun things to care for them and show them we care even though we can't gather. We've had a food bank here for many years and we had to refigure that so that we do it in a different way by drive through. The one thing sometimes we don't do is apply this to our actual neighbors. Now, I'm going to hold this up. It's from the book. It's also on our website, if you go on communityreformed.org or com, C-O-M-M-R-E-F.org, you can download on the front page this Who is My Neighbor sheet. It looks like a tic-tac-toe board, but in the center, you, you are here. It's where you live. What I want you to do, which I did, which was sort of humbling, was I tried to fill in who are the people, who, the eight people who live closest to me. I've lived in my house now since 2007, so 13 years. Three of them I know well, two I know as acquaintances, and two, if they were sitting in the sanctuary, I wouldn't be able to tell you who they are. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. And so what I'm doing today, and what was challenging to me as I heard about this book and this this movement that's happening is saying, what if we apply the literal idea of neighbor to our actual neighbors? Dave Runyon in this book says this, he says, I want to challenge us all, certainly the high bar of neighboring is true, but I also want to challenge us all to lower the bar to love our closest neighbors, to set the bar so low that we are embarrassed not to step over it. To just start by learning their names and starting to pray, God, what is one step you might, one door that might open with one neighbor? So I have a question. What, what's kept you from knowing your neighbor? You know, when I'm home, it's easy to drive home and want to be off the clock. And when I go in the garage and I shut the door, that I can relax. But what I'm challenging all of us to do is to have a posture of being intentional. To change it from seeing our neighbors as just an interruption to somebody we might have a divine appointment with. This isn't a program. This isn't an evangelistic mes- method. It's just being open to getting to know your neighbors. Our, na- our neighborhoods are transformed when we know our neighbors. The crime rate goes down. The health of people in the neighborhood goes, d- goes up when you know your neighbors. You know, my wife Rita taught me the power of simple acts of kindness with our neighbors just by what I call the power of soup. My wife makes incredible soup, pea soup, chicken rice soup. If it's not your thing, that's okay. But with this big pot of soup, she often takes the extra soup over to our neighbors. And it's just changed our relationship with them. They bring stuff our way, we bring stuff their way. We care for one another. It's been wonderful. you never know what a simple act of care and blessing will do. So my prayer, and this is a prayer many of us pray all the time, is Lord, how do you want to use me? What are you calling to me, me to do? What I'm going to say is I want you to take that idea and apply it to your neighborhood. I know we can't gather in the same way. Maybe you can have a conversation in the driveway. Maybe you can Give a note back and forth to your neighbors. Figure out creative ways like our youth group is. Figure out creative ways to get to know your neighbors. But here's the truth. I know you're on that street for a reason. You live in that subdivision. You live on that block. If you're at school, you live in that dorm for a reason. If you live in a city, you're in that apartment or that condo for a reason. If you're down in Florida or if you're out in Arizona or somewhere in between on winter away from Michigan, You're there for a reason. Will you download this and fill out and just put it on your refrigerator and just start to make the faces that you know into a person and a story because as you get to know their names, they're going to become real, a real person with a real story and you never know what God might do. So you have two pieces of homework. Start to learn the names, download the sheet that I talked about, and just pray, God, give me the courage to take a next step when it comes with one. Let me read some stories for you, because as I was preparing for this, I was like, you know what? The 500 Neighbors initiative was awesome, but what would it look like if we took that same kind of spirit and applied it to our neighborhoods? to our literal neighbors, and I realized the spirit was working ahead of me. Here are these stories. It says, I tutored two, or, two of my neighbor girls several mornings each week this summer. We worked on reading, writing, and lots of fractions, and my hope is they will be stronger academically in this next school year in their very neighborhood. I've been bringing Sunday dinner to our elderly neighbor each week. Thankfully, he loves my cooking. We delivered plates of bran muffins and jam to 13 of our neighbors, wishing them all a Happy Mother's Day from a safe distance, of course. And another one. On the early morning of April 9, we awoke to our neighbor's garage on fire. We had not met the family yet. They were new to the neighborhood. We soon met when we found them in our front yard and cold and in shock. We provided clothes, blankets, whatever they needed. The family and the dog made it out of the house safe. Praise be to God. Last one. Once a week, my husband and I mow and trim our neighbor's lawn. He's been struggling with his health, and this is an easy way to help him. So here's my question to you. Do you want to live in a neighborhood like that? I do. With God's help. Let's start to make it happen. Will you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, as we engage this idea of who is, what is a true neighbor, we know that the expectation to love you with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength and a neighbor as ourself is an unattainable perfection. But Lord, you are the perfect neighbor. You are the one who was the perfect sacrifice. And so today we pray, Lord, and thank you for the gift of life you give us for filling all obedience to the divine law and setting us free to be new in you. Lord, I pray that you would give us open eyes for our neighborhoods. Lord, I pray that you give us a new heart for our closest neighbors. And Lord, I pray that you'd give us courage to take the next step. As we explore this over the next few weeks, we're gonna wonder about how do we do this in this time with the challenges of COVID, Lord? Give us creativity and a creative spirit to care for our neighbors. And Lord, we pray with your help, you will change our hearts, change our community, and change lives. And we pray it in Jesus' name and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.